Sarah Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Do you guys want to know what a producer goes through to do a, to do a podcast? Because I like to think of myself as the producer of this you show. You are the producer and I, the director. I just, and- we... <laughs> We were we were just chatting away, and I clicked the recorder on, and in as rude a way as humanly possible, I didn't even realize I was doing it. I just said, "Go." <laughs> <laughs> and Taylor paused and took a deep breath and started. So I apologize. That was um, that, that was not great. <laughs> I didn't think anything wrong of it at all. <laughs> Anyway, that's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about the antagonists, and I do not want to position myself as the antagonist in this show. So we're going to walk (laughs) away from that, and we're going to get to our chit-chat, which is you're leaving for Thriller Fest tomorrow. I am leaving for Thriller Fest tomorrow. I wasn't planning to go this year, and I wasn't planning to go to BoshCon in September either, but I had my arm twisted by my editor and my agent in a very, very positive, loving way, of course. Um, And I wasn't planning to go because the next book, I don't have a book out from last year, and the next one isn't going to publish until December. So I didn't really see any point. I don't really have a lot of disposable income at the moment. And um, they were like, yeah, you need to come for, you know, it's more of a meet with the people on the team get questions answered. And then I did learn that I will have advanced reader copies of Liar's Paradox by uh, mid-July. So yeah, so they want, that's why BoucherCon was like, you should be there because I can already start, you know, talking, making sure reviewers and bloggers, whatever, have the copies. What about podcast hosts? We'll see what we can do, Steve. <laughs> the, the problem that I run into is as soon as um, everyone finds out that I have uh, advanced reader copies coming, everybody wants one. And I'm of two minds on this. Um, my first is that, well, I'm really only supposed to give them to people who are industry, right? That's what they're for. Um, but everybody's like trying to convince me why they should have one. And then I'm like, well, if I gave an advanced reader copy to every single person who's a fan, who's left to buy the books? <laughs> so it's I'm a like, very I, pragmatic I, approach. I Only give understand. them to people who don't like you. <laughs> well, I just, like, I do understand. And everyone's like, give one to me. And I'm like, uh, uh I, I, why? <laughs> Help me out here, guys. Come on. Be, don't, don't, go, don't make my life difficult. Of course I would give everybody one if I could, but it's not the way it works. Okay, I withdraw my request for one because I've already read the book. But I well, haven't you, read the you, final version of right, the book. Right, right, right. But I'm willing to wait until late December and call that a Christmas present to myself. <laughs> You're very sweet, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> but you are a patron. And uh, on Patreon, I've promised people at a certain pledge level that they will get free copies of that book. Signed copies? Well, there's different levels of patronage. (laughs) 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 And there are some people who will get autographed copies of the book sent to them for free at that level, yes. And where can people learn more about this Patreon thing that you speak of? It's at... 
patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens. All right. And, and Patreon is for people who haven't ever listened to this show before because we talk about it from time to time. It's a, it's a way where creative people can earn an income outside of just selling stuff. It's, it's a way for patrons, the patronage model from years ago, uh, to help support their favorite creative people. And that's right. why people like me and, and lots of other people are members of your patron community on Patreon. Right. And in my case, um, it's because there really aren't any publishing models in this day and age that are capable of letting me write and also put a roof over my kid's head at the same time. I write very slowly, uh, a book a year if I'm doing good, because I care so much about the words on the page. And for that, self-publishing really isn't, or indie publishing is not really an option because I won't earn enough. Uh, it, indie really does rely on volume and, and I won't earn enough for a book to, to keep food on the table. And I, um, in traditional publishing, it's really quite an uncertain environment. You never really know from one book to the next if you're even going to have another contract or not. And my preference would be to not work off contract. It's very stressful for me, but that's the only option. But I don't earn enough from that either. So it's like I'm looking for a way to continue doing what I do for those who actually value it. Because not everybody values the level that I'm writing at. Uh, some people cannot tell the difference between this and, uh, you know, something that hasn't gone through the editorial process, has, you know, been written very quickly. They they just want the story. They really don't care about the writing at all. And that's fine. That's That's I'm not like there's no judgment coming from that. But for those who do want that quality of writing, who who understand what it is that I'm doing, um, I, I just I can't support myself <laughs> any other way. So patronage is a way for me to be able to provide to those who act, provide that level of quality writing to those who actually want it. And that yeah, that's what that model is supposed to help perpetuate. And you and I had a conversation when we first started talking together, which was uh, a few years ago now, when I used the example of going to a baseball game. And you could go to a baseball game to see your favorite team, and you could buy a ticket for $5 and sit in the top row in the outfield, and you could see the game. Uh, you could buy a ticket for $25 and sit 30 rows from the field and see the game, or you could buy a ticket for hundreds of dollars or maybe thousands of dollars if you're in New York and sit right behind home plate and see the game and maybe be on TV. And there is no way, or at that time there was no way, for authors to sort of segment their their offerings. It's just you can buy the book or you can buy the book and the audio book, or you can buy the book and the audio book and the ebook. But that's that's it. There's no there's no additional level of access or anything or insight into the author's mind that's available for people. And and patron the patronage model is is a way of accomplishing some of that. Yes, it's a it's a way to create more for those who want more, and it's a way for those who value the art more than just reading a book in 10 hours and then being done with it or done with the author for a year or two years or whatever who want 
more than that to make it happen. All right. So let's get back to Thriller Fest because uh, we did okay. not intend to get into this, but it no, just kind of we kind of worked scripted. into it. <laughs> not planned. Um, but Thriller Fest. Um, how do people if, if if people are going to be in New York? This is in New York City. Where is it? It's held at the Grand Hyatt on 42nd Street next okay. to Grand Central Station. Every year, Thriller Fest is at the same place. At least it has been so far, and it's always been at that location. And if you're, you don't have to go. You can go to the, you can go to the venue. You don't have to have a ticket to get in. You have to have a ticket to get in and, and see the panels and things like that. But you can go to, the venue, go to the venue and just check it out and walk around and things like that. And occasionally, Taylor will have like a little, hey, I'm going to be hanging out here for a while. If anybody wants to come and join me, you can do that. So if you're going to be in New York City, um, maybe shoot Taylor an email and let her know. And, and there might be a way that you guys can connect. Yeah, um, this time around, it's been really hard trying to find. Uh, it just got the schedule got filled up so fast. Um, but evenings is I'm almost always in the bar in the evening because that's where everybody goes. That's to hang out. telling now, isn't it? It doesn't mean I'm <laughs> drinking like a fish. <laughs> so it's now just, somebody needs to go and just report back. Well, actually, I have a really funny story, and I'm. I guess this is. You know, sorry, but you're going to hear this funny story anyway. Last year, um, Bowser Khan was it? No, last year, the year before, the year before last, Bowser Khan was in New Orleans, and New Orleans is like Mardi Gras, right? That everybody goes to New Orleans to drink. And anytime one of these events goes on, the coordinators are always telling the hotel staff, make sure your bar is properly staffed. You're going to want to have extra people on hand because the bar is going to be inundated. And inevitably, the hotel's like, yeah, 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 we got it covered. Uh, lots of times they don't. They just cannot imagine the amount of people hitting that bar at the same time. And in New Orleans, the bartender's like, what is with you authors? You outdrink the Mardi Gras people. <laughs> I love I thought it. that was funny. I love it. And Bouchercon this year is in September. Is that right? Yes, and it's next door to you. It is. So I'm actually coming up. I'm not going to go to Bouchercon itself, but I, we haven't talked about this, but I'm going to just come up and see you because I've never met you. I'm so excited. This is going to be awesome. We have to coordinate. Yeah, I'll be there September 6th through 9th. It's quick for me, but yeah. Well, in, if you're going to be in Florida in September, you want it to be quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So we have a topic for today, right? Yes, we do. So in today's show, we're talking about antagonists. And I'm having a problem in a book that I'm writing with an antagonist. The antagonist does not seem bad enough to me. And I'm, I'm just afraid that I'm losing some juice in the story by not having a nastier, meaner, more vicious, more hateable antagonist. Okay. So Steve had kind of told me what we were going to talk about, but he has not, we've not discussed this and I'm just kind of winging it here. So um, my first thought when I got the subject of the antagonist is not bad enough was that might be okay depending on the tone of the story and two characters came immediately to mind and one was Loki from 
the Marvel Universe, who is a bad guy, but God, you love him. You know, you don't, he's, he's, he's so funny and the scenes come to life when he's in them. You don't want him to win, but you don't want him to die either. Um, and the other, this is a, another cartoon. Um, have you ever seen The Emperor's New Groove? Uh, shockingly, no. Okay. <laughs> My grandson is two. And you so there's should. a big gap in watching children's it's, movies. It's hilarious. It's, it's fantastic. But the villain in that um, cartoon, uh, I forget her name, Yzma, I think is her name. And she's awful. But she's so funny, and it's the the things that she does are you you love her as a character, even though you don't want her to win, but you don't want you know her to get blown up or something. You just don't want her to win. So unfortunately, both of my examples are drawn from comics and cartoons. But the point being that it's okay if it's done right to have a character that is the bad guy, that you actually can like the bad guy, you just don't want them to win. Now, in the case of the book that you're writing, it is of a lighter tone, but I don't know if it's that light. And so how to make your villain more villainous without uh, gratuitous violence or scenes that are there just to show that the villain is bad, or any of the other cliches and traps that are pet peeves of mine in particular, but I'm sure a lot of other readers. And as I think of this, putting myself in your shoes, you can do this without necessarily giving away who the villain is by how your main character reacts to them. You can make it so the main character just doesn't like them, even if the character itself is likable, that the main character gets rubbed the wrong way or but questions themselves about, self about it, where the main character is like, there's something about this that's fishy, which works if you have more than one fishy red herring in the story. So... It's not so much that the character has to do something more evil or be a despicable human being. They can be a very likable person. Ted Bundy was a very likable person. He's also a serial killer. So just because a, per a character is likable doesn't mean that they're good. And the results of their actions in and of themselves is is the bad deed and you could even have your main character be taken by the villain and totally blinded by it and then towards the end once the villain has been revealed be kicking him himself or herself for not having seen it and being so gullible because that character was so likable those are options. And can there be situations that just turn up that are obviously a result of whoever the evil person is uh, or the villain, the villainous person is? There are these bad things that are happening that can become 
increasingly more unpleasant, but we don't know who's doing them, or we don't know who is causing these things to happen, so we don't know who to really dislike, and then so the villain could it could, it could transition in the reader's mind from, hey, I really kind of like this person, to, oh my God. Yes, absolutely, and the way that you do that is making sure that your main character, the one that is hunting the bad person, has their own inner world about the villain, even though the character doesn't know who the villain is. So even if we've seen the villain on the page, the character doesn't know who that villain is. And so when this situation happens, the character doesn't just walk away from it going, oh, that sucked. But the character's like, ugh, whoever did this is a horrible human being. And how could they be so callous and da 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 So that's a form of foreshadowing right there. It's like we're already being primed as readers to see this horrible person through the main character's eyes. But we're only seeing it as a result of the effects, what this villain has done. And so even though we may have liked the villain before the reveal, once we find out who that person is and what they've done, then those emotions and thoughts that the main character has had gets transferred over to the face that we're like, oh, it was you. Well, you suck. You know, that that type of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. You can transfer it, but you have to make sure that the groundwork is laid by having those thoughts and feelings and emotions expressed prior to the reveal. And then my plan is that this character survives and continues to be a, a villain for future books in the series. Okay. And what I hope will be a series. So at that point, then they transition from being a sort of a person that we think is good and we don't know is bad to then then can can they become increasingly more dislikable or Well, that's the beauty of being the creator of this world is you have the ability to choose to go in whatever direction you want to go. And the easiest way, not necessarily easiest in terms of accomplishing it, but easiest in terms of a tool that use is eventually give the villain their own point of view. The closer you can get into the villain's head and understand them, the more real they become. And even if we dislike them, we can still get what's going on. Mm-hmm. It, cre- it makes them more real. If an alternate point of view is not an option, then you have to rely on your main character's emotions about that villain to, to ride that through, to, to, to carry that water. Okay. Now, Another thing that I have planned for the villain, and I don't know that this is a good idea. Um, I've seen it happen a few times, and I've seen it not happen a lot more times. And that is the idea that they stick around and they are an antagonist, but not the antagonist in future books until they become the antagonist again in a you know a final in a final battle. But they're just like a thorn in your side. As you're as you're dealing with other problems that come up over the course of that book, they're just like this person just comes up a couple of times in the book and causes trouble. 
So my main concern with that would be for readers who have not followed the series from the beginning. If the person just shows up and causes trouble without it actually being fully wrapped into the plot of that second or third story, then it becomes confusing for readers who are picking up a book in that series. So we can use, for example, in The Doll, um, we have an antagonist who shows up that was in the first book, The Informationist, what didn't exist in the second. It was a main character in the first book. And in the third book, that villain is sort of driving the story the actions of the villain are driving the plot, even though you don't really see the villain much on the page. But because of the interaction in the story, um, the, the character is present in mind, but not on the page. It's still complete. It's still part of the entire plot. So if, if the person, if instead didn't really have anything to do with the plot, but it was just someone that Monroe was pissed off at or felt that there was unfinished business with, it would actually be distracting from the story, not adding to it. So the, the, the part about having that villain show up throughout different uh, stories in the series is it has to be tied to that particular plot. Otherwise, it's just wasted words and confusing for new readers. Okay. And because you used an example from your own book, then I could completely understand what you're talking about. So that was good. When I, when I think of examples, and I, I know I use uh, Robert Parker's Spencer books all the time on this show, um, those tend to be always complete books um, that, are, that are standalone books. There are characters that come along, and there are some bad people that come along, but they're like the good bad people that he that Spencer works with, and they rarely get in the way of what of what he's trying to do. And then I think back to someone you've probably never read at all uh, the the early Nero Wolf books. Well, they're all yeah, it's a lot, he uh, the author wrote for a number of years, but there was a primary antagonist that appeared in a few of the books, even if it was as simply as there's a lot of bad stuff happening, I wonder if it could be this. And then it's, that might be the only mention of it. Okay. And then, and then there's a big story where it's Nero Wolf against someone that's as smart as he is, or uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. Moriarty's not in every book, but he's thought of um, in probably a lot more books than he actually is a part of. And so, so I, the question about Moriarty then is if you haven't read the prior books and he shows up and he's thought of in subsequent books, is it out of place or is there enough backstory given so that a new reader isn't thrown? And I, I can't remember. Um, because I'd read all the books, I, I just can't remember. I, I can think of a more timely series that I'm reading where occasionally this will happen, and it's it's a very quick, uh, you know, maybe two or three paragraphs of, of backstory, and that's it. 
but basically you had to have read the book to understand what's going on. You had to have read the previous books so to, I just, to understand what's going on. With the way that publishing is today, that there are so many books out there, and there's just the, the supply is endless. My caution is always don't piss off your readers because there's an, just a, there's no number that they, they could just endlessly go find other other books to read. So, you know, 50 years ago, it wasn't really the same. You know, there was a limited supply of books. So it, it, and, a, and an author who had a long-standing series like that could count on their readers reading all of the books and it's not mm -hmm. like that anymore and so you just i would just caution just don't piss off your readers so this was sort of a meandering topic of is your villain villainous enough and I, it's answered my question and since i was the, the one who had the question yay well, I would just say that, you know, this discussion was really around, it's because it was your question and it's surrounding your particular situation. Um, if someone was writing a different type of story, more intense, different genre, then the advice would be tailored more towards that specific genre. Um, I, in, in my genre, cannot really get away with writing likable villains. But there can be multiple villains, and some of the villains can be likable. And in my books, there's always kind of a gray area between good guys and bad guys, because they're all sort of bad, but they're all sort of good. And when you do that, then you kind of have to make your villains really stand out mm -hmm. to to make it work, right? So the whether the villain is bad enough or not really depends on what story you're writing. Okay, and you, as we said, are going to be at Thriller Fest. You're leaving today, so we are not going to have a show next week. So this is fair warning. We're going to take a week off so that Taylor can go apparently hang out and drink every night with her author <laughs> oh, friends. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, have a good time at Thriller Fest. And uh, we will talk again in two weeks. Yeah, and hopefully I'll have lots of stories to share. Who knows? 